Pop quiz, hotshot. You're fighting for an audience in a crowded format space. What do you do? What do you do? Shoot the audience. Wait, no. Wait, what? Uh, shoot my co-host. <laughs> you talk about 28-year-old movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we can do that. <laughs> this is Circle Takes. Welcome to Circle Takes. This is Chris. This is Sean. And today we're going to talk about what are you going to do? What do you do? What would you do? What would you do if your son was at home? <laughs> Lying on the floor. That's a good plug, Sean. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, today we're talking about 1994's Speed, starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, directed by the great... Jean de Bon. Jean de Bon. Jean de Bon. I can't, I don't know how you would uh, accent That's how his you name. Say it. Jean de Bon. Jean de Bon. Jean de Bon. Yeah. Written uh, by Graham Yost. Written by Graham Yost. Produced um, by Mark Gordon. This is a special remote episode of Circle Takes as we are, well, as I am in a uh, satellite office, as we'll call it. Uh, you know, Sean, let's just let's jump right into this. Let's jump right into this with a brief premise. Uh, if you don't know this film, you're either too young or uh, you were not exposed to great uh, cinema, a.k.a. cinema uh, in the yeah. 90s. Um, or, or maybe you're just not as cool as you think you are. Maybe or as fast. Mm-hmm. Speed. Uh-huh. You speed up. Speed. <laughs> I've got the need for speed. Uh, so did you write a premise? I wrote a premise, but. Yes, I I, I wrote a premise inspired by an excellent a film critic, a film journalist, film historian, the great Richard Schickel, um, may he rest in peace, that I believe sums up this film or at least does it the right sort of poetic justice it deserves and can can encapsulate it in a very um, just in, in, in beautiful words. Um, so I, I can I can read you that little plug and then you can read yours if you'd like. Yeah, I'm on the edge of my seat. To quote the great Richard Schickel, first, it plugs uncomplicatedly into lurking anxieties. In this case, the ones we brush aside when we daily surrender ourselves to mass transit in a world where the loonies are everywhere. Wow. Yeah. That's good, but it tells me nothing about the movie. <laughs> uh, well, it's what I put down in brief premise because I uh, uh, because I just said to myself, you know, I, that works for me. I, I like it. Um, you know, I, I, I could give a, an outside viewer a brief premise. Uh, Keanu's an LAPD cop and he's got to stop a, a madman uh, from blowing up a bus if it goes 50, if it goes under 50 miles an hour on the L.A. freeway uh, and it's full of uh, innocence. Uh, in a sense, not in a sense. Where do you start here? This is just a masterpiece. Sean, take take it away with the brief premise. In the city of angels, a maniacal bomb guy puts an explosive device on a moving bus in rush hour traffic that will explode if its speed dips below 50 miles per hour. Keanu Reeves has to get on the bus, save the passengers, and catch the aforementioned bomb guy. <laughs> this is speed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Great brief premise. Uh, moving along. Why it's known, why it's not known. 
Uh, wow. So when I was when I was uh, answering this question, I just I just wrote down, you know, um, like uh, notes on my pad to sort of just trigger what I want to talk about. Uh, so these are uh-huh. sort of abstract. So why it's no, not known. The first thing I put down was John de Bond. And then in parentheses, I put down Twister. Granted, Twister came after this. Yeah. And this was, this was Jan's first directorial, uh, thing. That's right. Not his, uh, but not his first, uh, uh, foray into the film business. He was, um, the DP, for uh, the cinematographer for uh, Cujo, which uh, is a great classic film. And knowing that it was his eye telling that story is like, oh, this makes so much sense. Um, also Die Hard, Hunt for Red October and Basic Instinct. Um, and Lethal Weapon 3. Exactly. So he's he knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, why, why, why else it's known or not known? Keanu Reeves. Sandra Bullock. <laughs> I wrote down this funny note, Sean, that I found um, from Jean de Bont about casting Keanu Reeves. He said, Keanu is not threatening to men. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't mm. bring a lot of bulk. And then the rest of the quote was like, uh, and the ladies love him or something. Um, I also he's, wrote, he's not wrong, but the men love him too. Exactly. Uh, I also wrote down a little bit of Hopper. Um, But then my final line in this category was, or in this shot was, this film put Keanu and Sandra Bullock on the map, hands down. And this is coming from having seen it in the theater in 1994 as a kid. I was blown away. I don't want to merge the shots in our shot list, uh, but I could because we still got a few more to go. But um, yeah, why it's known, not known. Those are my answers. Keanu, Sandra Bullock, Sean DeBont, Dennis Hopper for the older folks who saw it. Kick-ass thriller. Just incredible fucking yeah. movie. And yeah. the music. Mark Mancina. Yeah. That was a weak studied, attempt. Studied under Hans Zimmer. Under the great yeah. Hans Zimmer. The music is great. Uh, written by Graham Yost. I feel like Graham Yost is like one of those names where you might not know that you know mm-hmm. his work, but you know it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Creator of Justified. Wrote Broken Arrow. Wrote Speed. <laughs> wrote The Last Castle. Wrote two Band of Brothers episodes and was story editor on Hey Dude. Yes. I mean, how do, how do you beat that career right there? Funny you mentioned Hey Dude. I was watching a, a short documentary about Nickelodeon on Hulu recently, and yeah. um, he's in it. And they, they talk about, uh, he said, like, Hey Dude was sort of the, every writer's boot camp or something like that. It was like a, an incubator for writers. It was, you know, his first job. And I mean, I enjoyed Hey Dude. I have great memories so of Hey I. Dude on Nickelodeon. And you're right. We may not know him. We may not know that we know him. Uh, so yeah, Yost. Shout out to Yost. Uh, why? Why else is it known? Not known for you? It took a long time for me to actually see it for the first time. Oh really? Uh, yeah. First time watching it for you. When was it? Maybe like 2016, 2017. Ooh, did yeah. not know that. Holy shit, bro. Yeah. And in uh, side note, this is this is a rare episode, uh, at least thus far, where we've both seen the movie 
prior to recording the podcast. Yeah, we were going into our slate and just talking about what what's coming next, what we want to do next, you know, what sort of formula we want to work with. And, you know, sometimes like, I mean, the, the whole point of this is to talk about films that we love, or at least one of us loves. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of been on a little bit of a theme uh, run with one has seen it and one hasn't, you know, but we don't have to, we don't have to stay married to that. And no. for some reason we, we just start talking about speed and we love it. I mean, God, I love this film. It, it makes me feel every time I watch it, this, this could be safe for nostalgia factor, but every time I watch it, I feel, um, I feel the same way I felt when I was a kid watching this in 94 and I was nine years old in 94. Um, yep. and I got to see it in the theater and it was a different era for those of you who, uh, didn't grow up in the nineties or didn't go to movies in the nineties or just don't know how to appreciate good shit. Um, but this film put them on the map, put those two actors on the map. I felt like we all, so if you're in, if you're in your thirties or even late twenties, you mean, you know, and have known who Sandra Bullock and, and Keanu Reeves are, but this film was a turning point for both of them. This was a blockbuster. And when we get into weird history, we could talk about uh, the studio that passed on it and, and why they passed, which is kind of a, a fair reason. A lot of people thought it was going to be a diehard or another diehard. Yeah. Diehard on a bus. Right. But up diehard on a plane. Diehard on a boat. <laughs> get into that later. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Keanu was only really known to me. Um, from Bill and Ted uh, and then also Point Break, which was Point Break was kind of like a a sneaker sleeper hit. Like, I don't think people were yeah. anticipating for it to be uh, the great movie that it, the great action movie that it was. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, in, in Hollywood or I guess in society, we just we sort of we evaluate a newcomer as an audience and we sort of kind of, you know, we, we watch them grow, we, you know, kind of like you're, when Tom Holland didn't even really have to prove himself to be Spider-Man. But when Tom Holland became Spider-Man, I feel like the consensus was, yeah, no, he's perfect. I like this kid. He's doing good. Yeah. And I think that that was, um, you know, for it, getting into the mindset of older of people who were in their 30s in the 90s when this came out is a different ballgame. All they knew was the 80s and 70s, you know, in the past. So to see this guy, you know, from Bill and Ted, he's, he's sort of a surfer stoner kind of guy. And Sandy was the only hit Sandy had. I don't remember which was released first, but her first real breakthrough hit was The Net. Before that, it was Love Potion number nine, but she, she wasn't household name. Speed made them household names, made them stars. Yeah. yeah. Hands she down. She was in Demolition Man before this. But it wasn't as big of a role. You know, it was still kind of a big role. But when you're co-starring with Stallone, you get overshadowed a little bit. You see, I am going to have to web check you there because I could have sworn the Demolition Man came out after. Shut no. up, a bitch. 93. Look at you getting me. Damn, it was 93. Yeah. Well, it must have been. It had... Yeah, release date October late 93, and then this was released around June 94. So it was kind of like, hey, everyone, you know, look at me. Like, I'm cute. I'm a good actress. I know what I'm doing. I can I can hold it down and then, like, wait till they get a load of me, you know? Well, and I, I suspect this was a bigger hit. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, I I don't know. You have to, I'm sure you're pulling, I can see you pulling Let up something. Let me see, uh... Domestic. I think it was 350. 100, 121 million. 
Worldwide. Worldwide, 350. All right. And right. let's look at Demolition Man. Demolition Man's another great one. Ooh, domestic 58 million. So, yeah. Worldwide. Uh, I don't know if I trust this information. Worldwide is the same amount. What? 350? Does that mean they chose not to distribute it worldwide? I don't know. Uh, I find that hard to believe. Uh, you know, maybe Box Office Mojo is off on this one. That's weird for Mojo. Uh, according to Mr. Wiki, it's uh, 159, which is actually less of a hit. Kind of surprising because um, they were both hits for me. <laughs> but anywho. And for me. As Sean said, um, 90, 93 and then into 94, Sandra Bullock, you know, and then it just sort of. So we know, if you don't know, that uh, in the 90s into the 2000s, there was the $20 million actor or actress. And I think that it was these movies that uh, established a foundation to justify commanding that salary. Um, And I know this is sort of like my my own loose logic or our own loose logic here, but following that model, boom, this was the collateral they needed, you know, like they can, they can do it. They can hold it up. Um, And we both know how great uh, each of their careers turned out. Moving along into gut reactions. As I'm watching our films for the show, I'm I'm taking some notes in my phone. I think my first note was the opening titles over the interior of the elevator. Love it. So good. Love it. Looks great. Love it. Looks great. One of my next notes is Dennis Hopper is so fucking good in this. Everything in this movie is done so intentionally. Everything adds up. There's no there's no like line or or thing that's like said or piece that's put into this that doesn't come back later. There's so much like setup and payoff stuff. I just love it. I think every time I watch it, I love it more. That's my gut reaction. Oh, uh, couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, so going off of my notes as well, uh, first thing I wrote down was they don't make them like this anymore. And then I nope. put and then I put dot dot dot. But they do sort of. And what I mean by that is this is a special movie because, um, you know, you put yourself in 94, you know, we've had aliens, Terminator two predator, predator two demolition, man. We've had a slew of, um, of action films that are at that time pushing the boundaries of uh, special effects of what you can do on camera, what you can do on film. And I mean, even Jurassic park and the early days of um, CGI. And I've always, I've always sort of done the math like this. If a movie from the eighties or nineties that had CGI that still holds up today, that is, that to me proves that the budget was high and the filmmakers yep. wanted to use the best. And yep. by the best is when you make a movie, you want to make it as real as possible. Everything you have to make it as if you're going to jump a, a bus off of a cliff, you're going to jump a bus off of a cliff. If you can, if you can find a way to do it, <laughs> a cliff that isn't in use anymore, a bus that can be destroyed, you know? So it's, creative decisions like that in the budget to push the limits of what you can do with actual um, real life 
sized models and, and people and stuntmen and yep. all that. And then, but then when, when they say, okay, that shot is way too hard to do. We're going to have to fake it. Then you get, then the, the next step is models, you know, like small scale things, uh, dummies, things like that. Even when these great films of that time did that, they did it so fucking well. So it, well, it looks real. And it holds up. And what I meant by, um, but they sort of do make them like that. That's not to knock the great movies that we've seen since 1994. And you know, you know, there's been wonderful ones. You know, you know, there, there's been some that are just 80% uh, blue screen, green screen, you know, and, yep. and it's marvelous. And so that part of the technology has come a long way. And, and you know, not, not knocking those. And then you still have your, you have your rare exceptions like, you know, Tommy Cruise still wants to, you know, ride on the wing of a, of a real plane and shoot that. And hey, if you could do it and you could be safe, it's going to look great. If Tommy Cruise wants it, Tommy Cruise gets it. Right. And if it if you can make it real, then hey, by all means. So I'm not jaded. I'm not, you know, cynical. Um, I'm still still blown away uh, to this day by, by by some things that they do. But when you really just sort of soak that in and you separate the times and you look at what was done with this film. Yeah, it's just. They just love that. <laughs> so I'm getting into a swan song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, as we'll discuss it later, like they they used CGI in this movie, but I didn't realize they used CGI in this movie. I never had thought like, mm-hmm. oh, they use CGI in this. Yeah. So that's like how how it's when you you have the tools and you're not using them as an easy fix. You're using them with the story in mind. And you're not, you know, you're not using them just because like, oh, well, we won't have to go on location and and we'll save money if we just do this instead and and film the whole thing against a green screen. That's that's where I'm jaded, you know? Yeah, I'm with you there. And, and I think we've become that way because as cinema has <laughs> continued to go on since 94. OK, let's take, for example, Spawn. I think Spawn was uh, 95 or 90, 95, 96 or 97, one of those years. Spawn, you know, early Marvel. Not a lot of people have seen it. Michael J. White is Spawn. Uh, John Leguizamo's in it. Uh, Martin Sheen is in it. Great film. Loved it. Yep. A lot of people yep. loved it. But there is an ending that does not hold up. And it's pure CGI. It's like the devil shows up at the end. And it's 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 so fucking bad um and you gotta wonder what the shelf life of that was i can't remember how i felt back then when i saw it i think i was fooled enough to be okay with it and let it pass yeah but even like another one is air force one harrison ford i think that came out in 97 and uh that was a great film but the very end they they crash air force one into an ocean and it looks like it looks bad the cgi just it's bad see see i'm of the opinion I'm not a fan of like the George Lucas like special edition type thing where you're like putting in new stuff to the movie that didn't wasn't there before same but but part of me is okay with put out the blu-ray and have the theatrical version on it but then also have a remastered improved special effects version if people want it where like 
all right, we've gone in and using the tools we have today, we've we've made the demonic creatures in Spawn look actually good. And we're not changing the voice acting of that character. We're not we're not changing like the location. We're trying to be faithful to it, but we've remastered it. I'd be okay if that happened. Preservation and improve. Exactly the same. Uh, Star they Trek did pretty TOS. much the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. TOS and TNG. They did it as well, where it's it's faithfully updated. Right. And with TOS, uh, Star Trek: The Original Series, they TNG was way more of a preservation. Um, yeah. T, uh, the next generation uh, TOS was definitely uh, a, a, a mix of both TOS. They added like they made the shots of the ship of the enterprise orbiting the planet, like HD, you know, and that was slightly jarring, but definitely not as, as, as jarring as uh, what Lucas did on his fucking original prequel. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you there. And, and I agree. That's how they should do it. I would be down for them to unlock spawn and and fix that ending fix just fix the effects of that devil you know don't change the story just fix the shot exactly don't change the story don't change like what each shot is on the editing timeline yeah where the timing of everything is just like update the visuals just hd it motherfucker (laughs) hd it but then Um, also i don't think you should lock away the original either I wish there were like a button right. on Netflix where I could press like original special effects while I'm watching TNG and, you know, it comes up. Couldn't agree with you more. I hope somebody does that because I'd be down. I would love to, you know, to quote our friend when we were talking about um, high frame rates on on newer televisions. You know, people call it hyper mode or soap opera effect to quote what he said. It brings new life into old films. And, uh, you know, I've, we didn't even start with how many times I've seen Speed. I've We owned it on cassette in the 90s. We owned the yep. DVD. And I and I, I own a file of it. I mean, my God, I, I hands down have to have seen the Speed more than 20 times in my life. No, no exaggeration. So, yeah, I'm ready for like a, a deleted scene. And we're, we're going to get into that in a second. Um, so going. So you're done with your gut reaction, right? Yep. Yep. My gut reaction will only get you so far. Uh, to cap off my gut reaction, even Roger Ebert gave this thing four out of four stars. Um, and and one other uh, reaction when I saw it was um, Dennis Hopper. I wrote down, Hopper is just disgusting. <laughs> and I remember feeling that as a kid. And what I mean is his character. Like, you know, I'm nine years old. I'm a precocious kid. I, uh, you know, pretty desensitized to some gory stuff in the 90s. You know, that's what you get when you get taken to see Terminator 2 in the theater. Um, and then everything else that came before it. Yeah. I just remember seeing Hopper and like, and, and I love how the film can still, I mean, I was you know, rewatching pieces of it last night. I almost didn't need to rewatch it to get ready for this, but I, I wanted to. This is a film that it, when it's on, you stop everything, you finish it. Um, yep. This is a film that you put on to feel good, to just sort of let you escape a little bit. There's hardly any mistakes. Um, and then you, you, it's a tour de force with the casting, um, even the, the, the peripheral characters. But um, Hopper, what I mean by his disgusting, you know, may he rest in peace, was his character. When I was a kid looking at him, I just remember seeing him on screen and how, how mean he was and mean and disgusting how heartless he was to yep. just 
everybody. And he just something about his whole look, like his his you know, he has a big head, his his mm. like the salt and pepper hair, the way he talks, just this sort of he's got a creepy vibe about him. And I know that it's not just the person. I know that he put a lot, he acted that out to make you feel that. And he conveyed it so well. And he just was a bit disturbing to me. And he, yeah. he, he, he scared me. So yeah, he's, he's perfect. Yeah. I think he is perfect. And, uh, I think the first time after I saw this, I remember talking to you cause I had the thought like Hopper would have made an amazing Joker. Like he's the best Joker we never had. Interesting. And this and this film's performance is what I was like, damn, if he could have played the Joker. Not that everyone needs to play the Joker, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. he would have killed in that kind of role. I'm gonna have to blind faith trust you with that. <laughs> the way I'm trusting Aaron Sorkin uh, with Javier <laughs> Bardem and Nicole Kidman on We Are the Ricardos <laughs> because. <laughs> I can sort of subscribe to it. It's a bit hard to see, but the thing that kind of balances out for me is like, you know, well, fucking easy writer, you know, uh, he, he knows what he's doing and he could have done it. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson came from that era of Hopper. So like, yeah, okay. If he could do it. Yeah, totally. The only thing that we don't want him to do is uh, be uh, King Koopa again or Bowser, whatever the fuck he played in Mario Brothers. (laughs) Who did Hopper play Uh, more? yeah, he played Koopa. Yeah. yeah, I think he did a good job with that. Um, yeah, I'm trashing the movie more than him. Yeah, that might be a that be might be worth a rewatch for the podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd be down. I'd be down. We can go in on it. I, I, I mean, I saw it in the theater. I know exactly how I felt as a kid. <laughs> uh, and I'm just reluctant. I was. I'm reluctant to admit that I didn't like it as a kid, and it was bad. But I wanted it to be so great. Anyway. Don't want to tangent off. Too many tabs open. Yep. So, gut reactions. Uh, love the shit out of it. Moving on to our our shot list. Uh, Sean, would you like to read the shot list? Yeah, we've got circle take. Best quote. Does it hold up? Weird history. We've got how would you reboot this? What would make this better? Who used to be a theater actor? Nostalgia factor. And non-white casting. Then we have our director and producers corners, director and producers corners, and our questionable questions. This is sort of a special edition of Circle Takes for me. Um, I wrote down, these are more like jaw takes. <laughs> uh, and, and I have to because, God, it's so hard. I, I First of all, you know, I'm not picking one. I don't even know if that, those are our rules, but I'm not. I'm not picking one. I'm just going to read what I wrote down. Uh, yeah, and this the is, whole movie. Yeah, the whole movie. The whole movie. Uh, this is kind of in, in a bit of a sequential order, but um, I'll explain them all. So like, and, and this doesn't do the whole, the whole movie is my fucking circle take, but here we go. So it's for, for jaw takes for me, it's, I love watching movies with people because when I'm not, when I've seen it once or, or, or a ton of times, I do sort of like looking over to the side or my peripheral and I like seeing what is happening on screen due to other people. I like watching other people's jaw drop and, and their eyes get big or, you know, their gasps. And 
I love that because I want our films to do that. And uh, that's the goal. And I think if you watch enough of um, great things, we will be able to do that. So, um, you know, getting a little preachy there. Um, my jaw dropped at the beginning. See, the film just, it just opens with a bang. Not directly. It opens with, like you were saying, the elevator shot. That elevator shot, which is, you know, the camera just kind of going or the it's just going down the shaft and you get the on-screen credits and you get yep. Mancini's score, incredible score. It's and it just sets it up, sets yep. it up perfectly. Filmed um, inside of a model. Yeah. You know, like an 80 foot model. Um, jumping into the, the list. When Harry and Jack are chasing um, Lane or something. Morrow. Who Hopper? Yeah. What's his name? Damn it. Oh, of all people. Howard Payne. Payne. That's right. Payne. When they're chasing Payne in the building after his foiled elevator explosion attempt, he takes Jeff, Jeff Daniels by the nose. Uh, <laughs> another favorite line. He grabs him by the nostrils. That's right. When well, he drags him out and he goes, do you want to die, friend? <laughs> oh, he's so sinister. Anyway, he walks out of there and he, he sets off a little bomb and Keanu just is thrown back against the wall. It's a small, simple explosion. But I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, you know, and just the way he fell. I was impressed because it looked like Keanu, even if it was a stunt double, it was one hell of a stunt double. And just that that tiny little explosion shot was like, whoa. And then um, Sandra Bullock hitting the baby stroller. I remember in the theater, Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. gasped and they set that up so perfect to make us think it could have been a real baby. And the, yep. the, the stakes couldn't be raised any higher. I mean, my God. And I mean, they set it up perfect. Like you, and it made sense too. Like when they showed you what it really was, it made sense. Oh, I could totally see a homeless person towing around a baby stroller full of cans. But um, Sandy's reaction with the reaction shots, great cutting in this, great editing, great, great uh, cinematographer. Everything was just beautiful. And I felt the fear of her character. So that was like my jaw dropped with her. Everyone's jaw dropped. Um, yeah. This is a bit out of order. When Keanu's trying to get on the bus with uh, Glenn Plummer in the the passenger seat, he takes his Jaguar and he's like, yep. are you insured? <laughs> Races up, opens the door, breaks, brake checks it, and then knocks the door off. I was like, what the fuck is he doing? You know, <laughs> that was just cool. Uh, the bus jump, and I'm not talking about the one on the freeway when Keanu jumps out of the car onto the bus and the freeway shot. I'm sure you'll get into weird history about the freeway shot. That was the bus jumping the freeway. Yep. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Um, and then also the reveal of the CC or the closed circuit, the camera that was on the bus. Yep. The reveal of how Keanu found out that Hopper had an advantage on them and was watching them and just, you know, he kind of leans forward and then cheats to the left and he sees the camera behind the mirror. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. that works. That's true. That makes sense. Yeah. Because even in the nineties, um, I remember they had cameras on buses. They had them in elevators. The camera's been around a while. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote down the score, you know, dun, 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 dun. you know, it's, oh, it's fucking beautiful. Uh, almost done. <laughs> Harry's death. When Harry, when Harry, the, I was, I was watching this with a friend the other day when Harry's in the house trying to get pain and then they do the camera on the little, um, trigger bomb 
and it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a still shot static and then back to Harry and it's just right on his face. Jeff Daniels does like a small, like beautiful act to do a small little, like not a lip quiver, just kind of like a, a, you know, you just see this. It's over on his face. He knows and he's not going to run. He's just going to yep. let it happen. He's gone. Um, and then uh, this is my last one. <laughs> this could be mixed in with our next shot, which is best quote. Fucking Joe Morton. <laughs> Joe Morton just won't stop yelling at people in this movie. <laughs> and I love it. I'm here for it. Um, I'm talking. Do you remember when Keanu gets the idea to use the the camera against him? And then uh, Joe Morton is um, uh, telling the news guy to loop the tape. Yep. Yeah. I just like when he's like, he's like, OK, tape it. Tape it! <laughs> and then he tells him, he goes, run it! Run it! <laughs> like, and even even the, the 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 actor playing the camera guy was like, all right. You know? <laughs> uh, anyway, all right, those are my those are my uh those are my uh, circle takes. Take it away, shot. <laughs> okay, my like tip top circle take is the bus jump over the freeway. Mm-hmm. I just love, like, everything about that little sequence. I love how, like, right at the last moment, Keanu, like, embraces Sandra Bullock's character, Annie. Yep. And, and it's just like, you know, who knows what's going to happen. It's kind of dangerous. Who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. But it's it's like, I just love that the movie has set us up to that place where if this bus goes under 50 miles per hour, we're dead anyway. So we need to try, you know, we need to make this jump. Yep. We might as well try. Other, You know, we're dead either way. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just I just love all the circumstances around that. I love the the train fight on top of the train with with Hopper and, and Keanu at the end. <laughs> uh, I especially love uh, how it sets up Keanu to uh, to get back in the train and then Annie S. Where'd he go? <laughs> he lost, he lost his, his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great balance of one-liners in this film. We'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah. But yeah, like I said before, it's the, the whole movie is the circle take. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, just, there's just so many things. Okay, so my best quote, because I know you have like a list of 30. I only have one, two, three. I have four. Mm, okay. One is very. One is one word. So this this is like this is the best quote for me. Uh-huh. It's it's near the start of the movie. Okay, good. Harry and Jack are trying to use a crane to save the elevator passengers, and Howard Payne realizes <laughs> this that they're trying to save the passengers, and he says, "Don't fuck with Daddy." <laughs> I thought it was nobody fucks with Daddy, but. Regardless, I just love the line. I think it should have been on the poster. <laughs> I think it should have been the tagline. There's just so many, so many good lines throughout this movie. So many good exchanges of dialogue, like when uh, when Alan Ruck's character is on the phone relaying to uh, I guess Joe Morton's character about what Keanu is. Oh no, he's talking to Harry, I think. And Keanu says, "Fuck me." And Ruck says, uh, oh, darn. Oh, darn. Yeah, I know that one, too. Here's, here's my last one, I guess. And I suspect this might be one of your best quotes as well. 
Damn it. I'm going to rip your fucking spine out, I swear to God. <laughs> okay, no, that wasn't it. Number one best quote, and I always try to set this one up to use in real life. I, I'm always like, it's at the ready waiting for someone to say something where I can trigger this one and and and, and make it organic. But it's kind of rare. It goes, what, you thought you needed another challenge or something? <laughs> this, is, this is after uh, Keanu... Is another great shot. He's under the bus. He's trying to defuse the bomb. And then uh, his his little cart hits some piece of debris, debris, and, uh, and, and knocks him out of whack. And he's got to use the fucking screwdriver and all his forearm strength and bicep strength to yep. cut into something. And he's hanging or perpendicular. Would that be the right word or parallel to the? To the bus, he's got like hardly any room under him. He's going over 50 miles an hour. You know, the conditions are crazy. And he 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 hits the fuel line and gas is leaking on him. And then they miraculously get him into the bus through an access panel. And he's got he's got to do like the biggest ab crunch in the world to get back on the <laughs> on the bus. And when he gets in there, he, you know, he goes up to, to Annie, Sandra Bullock, and she gets mad at him for for making her think that she ran him over and smells the bus of the, the fuel on her hands. She goes, what was that fuel? Yeah, I, I hit the fuel line. We're leaking gas. What you thought you needed another challenge or something? It was great. I just I love that line. Uh, and then another one from Payne was, "Do not attempt to grow a brain." <laughs> and then uh, when he's watching the news about himself, and the the news the anchor says, uh, "At the whim of a madman," and he likes that. Maybe that's where the joker comes in. He goes whim of a madman <laughs> and then my last line my last best quote is at the be- at the beginning of the movie they're closing in on the elevator full of patrons and Keanu asks Harry um, Harry remind me why I took this job again and he, he spills off some cynical list of like a pension a retirement and a cheap watch <laughs> Keanu just answers him while chewing gum upside down Cool. cool. <laughs> I just—it's kind of like a grown bro, you know, like a mature bro answer is one word. Cool. cool. Uh, so those are my best quotes. It made—it reminded me that I have—I had a line that, kind of like you said, I wish someone would tee me up for. So uh, if you could tell me that—that that I'm crazy, Sean, you're crazy. No. Poor people are crazy, Jack. I'm eccentric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, Hopper. Great movie. They just, they really it's don't look good at this. Um, and they don't. Just one last. This is just a tiny, tiny line from an exchange between day players. Please. Uh, when, the, when the passengers are on the elevator... And they first start to notice something has gone wrong. One of the executives turns to I, I know the line. Patrick Fischler, uh, that guy, yeah, the great Patrick Fischler from yeah. Girlfriends, Mad Men. You've seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the line. <laughs> and he says, "Jesus, Bob, what button did you push?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. Does it hold up? Um, I think we can breeze by this shot. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll go first and I'll tell you exactly what I wrote down for this shot. Does it hold up? My answer was fuck yeah. 
that's it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, my answer was yeah, buddy. I think it holds up. Yeah, and and uh, the passengers on the bus, they look like L.A. Right. Yes, I think so. And I think that the only thing that is somewhat dated is just the technology. That's all. But buses practically still run the same. You could put a a, theoretically put a bomb on a bus and do the exact same thing and and suffer the same consequences. Um, You know, only thing now is you'd have an an iPad yep, (laughs) or web browser. (laughs) Yeah. A flashlight on your phone. Yeah, the only thing remaining, I would say, is just kind of, and it's a it's a broader critique of society in general, is just kind of police as heroes and everything. Yeah, this one is a bit a bit of a sidestep to that whole conversation because it's it's one cop, one good cop taking it all in his hands, and he's he's not even really decked out in traditional police garb, so he's this savior that kind of looks like an every uh, an every. I don't know, it was every person, every man, I don't know, um, with the rest of the people. I mean, it, it gets, even they get a little confused at the beginning. I don't know who he is, or what he's doing. Um, and he's exactly, yeah. He's sort of one of them. He's because he he's races. Imme- yeah, he races from the first explosion to get on that bus. So, and that goes with uh, what Jean de Bont said about the casting. Uh, he doesn't intimidate men. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I don't think he was being, you know, crass about that. I think he was, he was, you know, he's looking for a formula that worked. Uh, we can kind of get into casting down at, um, not my casting. Cause you know, there's other casting notes there. Yeah. But he means like the physical stature of Keanu yeah. is not like you were saying earlier. Like you have to think about this time period, like the action stars were your Stallones, your Schwarzeneggers, uh, Keanu does not physically look like those guys. He looks he looks like one of us, which is refreshing. It's uh, yeah, it's cool to see. <laughs> yeah, and and to to put it in old Hollywood speak, he's pretty, but he's not too pretty. <laughs> you know, um, he's good. He worked. Weird history. I know you like it when I when I start with the Christian movie guy, don't you? Absolutely. So the Christian Movie Guide has reviewed this picture. They have rated the language on a scale from none to light to moderate to heavy. Language is heavy. Violence is moderate. Sex is moderate. Which, like, <laughs> what's sex? Nudity is light. Light. I, I know what shot they're talking about. That's ridiculous. What, the, the woman getting off the elevator? Being saved off the elevator, yeah. Yeah. Panty is a panty shot. Which, which, yeah, is kind of unnecessary. They didn't need to have that shot. But, uh... I liked it. I, I, I liked of it. Of course was a, you liked it. It was a sneak. I like how they snuck it in. They gave it enough, like, we don't need TNA. We're just gonna give this. And you know what, people? It could happen naturally. That could happen when you're in a rush. If you say so. I think so. Here's, here's more of the review. Okay, so... And I kind of agree with most most of this review. Uh, Christian Movie Guide says, Suspense, tension, great action, and excellent stunts abound, along with some credible acting performances. Sandra Bullock is extremely natural and believable as Annie, the stand-in bus driver without a license, and provides needed comic relief and witty dialogue. Dennis Hopper plays simply the best psycho-crazy man in the business. Keanu Reeves, still sporting his tired surfer accent, and said to be nervous about carrying a film, is surrounded by 
enough excellent work that speed manages to carry itself. You know, that's a little rude to Keanu, but uh, mm. and then the final line of this review is, however, an overabundance of foul and profane language serves only to offend and distracts from an otherwise truly exciting film. Wow. So, so they like the movie, but, uh, you know, so they're they just wanna... getting a little caught up on this morality bullshit. I think they got their moralities twisted. They want to comment and and and, and try to say that a, a, an extremely fast shot of panties is worse. They didn't even mention the decapitation. That's a grotesque and awful. I'm surprised they didn't just slap it with an R or like a no. Or this is nasty. And like shooting the bus driver and the blood. I don't know. Uh, CMG. I don't know about you guys. I think it's a lopsided review. Yeah, it is what it is with the CMG. All right, let's get it. Let's get into the history. Weird history. What do you got? What do you got here? I just wrote down a few things. Um, one of the things I saw was uh, that it, initially there was no elevator scene. They, it was added a little later, which kind of made me go like, wow. You know, yep. they, they said that it was from the studio not wanting the entire movie to take place on a bus, which I get. And all, the reason I'm surprised is because the elevator scene opening was so good. It was just so that you're wrapped in, you're, you're pulled in right away. Such a great opening. Even right before that scene, or actually right after the scene started, the, the L.A. cop car jumping the street. I believe that's over by like Flower and, and Fig or somewhere like right there in the heart of downtown. Yep. Uh, remind me to tell you, I went over to, I've been to Pershing Square uh, a lot recently, and I always think of Sandra Bullock standing there by the garbage can. Um, the, yeah, so no elevator scene. I thought that was a kind of interesting, like, well, what would it have been? Or are we just right. riding the bus it the whole time? It was all going to take place on the bus. And, <laughs> right. there, and that means there would have been no train scene as well. Exactly. Uh, the other part of it was uh, they were supposed to end up doing circles around Dodger Stadium, which it fits the the logic of Keanu's intelligence of being clever to find a place where they could kind of kill time and f- think of a plan and not not kill pedestrians. Yep. Uh, and then the whole the original uh, working title was going to be called Minimum, which which that was kind of funny or Minimum Speed. The word yeah, minimum, minimum was, speed. was used in there and, you know, glad they fixed that one. And then the, the most like ridiculous thing I read was that they were going, it was supposed to end or at some point they were supposed to run into the Hollywood sign. Was, now that's my question is how? You know, like every time like there's only one Hollywood sign in Griffith Park on a hill. If this thing is going, if this thing was originally going to go to Dodger Stadium, do you tell me how the fuck it was going to go through the Hollywood sign. That thing, what is that? I want to know. I want to read those pages of that script and just try to understand what the fuck are you trying to do? Because that's when we get really silly and stupid and it just it's just dumb. It makes no sense. But I, I'd like to know what they meant. Um, another thing, uh, here's more I wrote down for weird history. So talking to our other friend, you know, in the last I don't know, 20 years we've known each other, um, he helped me discover how much I love John McTiernan, mm-hmm. uh, who, who directed, uh, you know, Die Hard 3 and, and, and so many of the great movies. He, McTiernan, you know, you're watching a McTiernan movie and Mc, yep. John McTiernan is 
the best. Just one of the best. He declined this film uh, to much understanding. And he actually recommended John DeBont, um, which did really well. Yeah. All I can think of as great as a film is as it stands now is what would it have been like with McTiernan? And all I can say was it's already great. It only would have been even better, but it doesn't need to be even better because it's so fucking good. So that was just kind of like a head scratcher. And then uh, I read the interesting fact about uh, Joss Whedon reworking dialogue for Keanu. That was kind of a surprising, uh, surprising little fact. And, you know, uh, well, he reworked all all the dialogue. Right. Well, yeah. Well, I I pulled that out of the how Keanu was originally going to have a lot of one liners and they were going to make him a little more, um, you know, Schwarzenegger I'll be back type like it was gonna be more yeah a little more diehard probably too yeah and they said that he was trying to they were trying to make him that but uh, we didn't want him to be more of this good sort of polite clean cop which I don't think that was a bad idea but we didn't even being involved you know was surprising you know and, and putting aside the controversy that he has around him in the present and just looking looking at this film objectively uh Wow, I'm surprised. Um, and I was I was wondering, did you see any credit for him on screen? Does he have any sort of credit? I don't this? think he has a screen credit. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like it's good dialogue. You know, he's racist and a fake feminist, but it's good dialogue. Yeah. But objectively speaking for the film, like as a as a writer, what he did for this, I thought it was good. Yeah, because Graham Yost said that. Uh, Whedon rewrote 98.9% of the dialogue. Wow. Which which sounds to me like, yeah, pretty much touched up every line or 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 came up with a lot of new stuff. That's, yeah. That's, that's a lot. What did the other guy do? Uh, <laughs> the end. <laughs> um, and then to close out my weird history, I just, I read that. I, I Funny how the movie is so good. I never bothered in the past to really look at the, you know, my favorite part of IMDb back in the late nineties and two thousands was clicking on trivia. And that's where we get a lot of the weird history, you know, here. And of course, Wikipedia is that uh, the alternative casting. Well, first of all, uh, Keanu's character was some, some Billy Blanks esque type of actor. It was kind of like this unknown like, martial artist. Yep. <laughs> never heard of him. Thank God they didn't go with him. And then the alternatives, according to I think it was Wiki, was uh, Tom Cruise, which I could totally see would have worked. Tom Hanks also can totally see. And I think it would have been pretty good, honestly. Uh, and then Wesley Snipes. Awesome. Yeah. And then Woody Woody Harrelson could have seen that as well. Could have seen that, too. Yeah, that is uh, all for my weird history, unless something pops out in my head. No, I, I actually had. I had put Wesley Snipes on my non-white casting list before I saw that tidbit. So it was kind of vindicating. I was like, yeah, they were thinking about Wesley, too. Mm-hmm. So here's what jumped out to me. The bus, when it's jumping over the gap in the highway, is not jumping over any gap. It's It was on, it was on a ramp. They filmed it with five cameras, and the bus <laughs> did jump off the ramp, but it landed back on a regular road and they actually used computers and, and map paintings to draw in the gap, which just astounded me. Cause I watching the movie, you can't even tell. Yeah. And they destroyed a camera and like two buses, right? Yeah. 
They used <laughs> 11 buses total for this whole movie. <laughs> they must have been using that type of bus in L.A. for a while because, like, the buses to me look like something from the 60s, right? Didn't they have that vibe to you? If my memory uh, corrects me with, or is correct with the, the year, it was a 1967 GM bus wow. model. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I saw that for the character of Annie, they went through all, all kinds of different casting iterations or different thoughts for the character. Yeah, keep- originally wrote the character as African American and a paramedic, right? To to justify like how she could drive a bus through all this kind of traffic, they offered the role to ha- Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. She declined. Uh, then they were like, oh, maybe this could be like a sidekick. So that they were talk- thinking about Ellen DeGeneres, <laughs> uh, who'd be like a driver's education teacher. That w- that would have been a different movie. And they also considered Meryl Streep and Kim Bassinger. Mm-hmm. But they both declined. Yeah. I saw that too. For the folks at home, you might have you might have heard about the Mythbusters episode where they attempted <laughs> to to recreate the bus jump and it failed. So <laughs> So if you're ever a bus driver and you gotta make that jump, you're kinda screwed. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> I feel like I know the movie so well. Uh, yeah, the Halle Berry casting uh, would have worked. I mean, she did Executive Decision with Kurt Russell around like '95, so she obviously she could she could do an action thriller just fine. I think she would have been fine. I was I was more interested in the the character backstory that they uh, actually supposedly shot or set up, but they deleted that from the film, and she had more of like a setup. It wasn't the whole paramedic part-time thing, but that would have worked too. You know, it's, it's funny because they had a lot of great tools to work with on this film. And even the ones they didn't use were good, except the Hollywood sign crash. Uh, Meryl Streep. I don't know. I don't know. The Kim Basinger. Yeah. Totally could have seen that. She would have been awesome. And uh, Ellen DeGeneres. This is funny. I know why. I know why, but no, totally. No. Glad they did not. Yeah. And uh, originally in the script, Harry was supposed to be the the villain of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I read that too. That would have worked also. Could have kind of worked. You could see why he might be, he might be jaded or he might have some ulterior motives. Yeah. 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 Gold watch and all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going back to Ellen, a lot of people don't know. Uh, they don't remember or they're too young to remember that she started. She didn't start on a talk show. She's was a Hollywood actress. She had a TV show. She had a sitcom. Yeah. She this, was on, this would have been uh, before she came out, I think, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Famous so. People magazine cover. I'll never forget that. It was such an uproar about that. Fucking America. Fucking America. I think we can breeze by this one. How would you reboot this? I'll go first. My answer is I wouldn't. That's an easy answer. Um, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really need it. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think of a way to like reboot it without cops, which you could probably do, or like knowing knowing today's creative executives, they'd probably try to make it like uh, some some like alt right influencer who's like, if I don't get ten million likes on my story by eleven a.m. Then I'm gonna blow up this bus. Jesus, I I don't want. I don't even want to read the the 
treatment for that. Yeah, and then and then like the the incel bomber is like on live the whole time. Jesus, yeah, I'm already I'm already out. So I would probably re I would uh, probably bless a remake, not a reboot. Um, if some, I don't know if like Keanu was involved and they just literally wanted to update it kind of like a, they remade world of the worlds, you know, that's, it's just more of a technology thing. I don't think it was to, to be unfair to the original. Um, I, I guess I'd be okay with that, but it'd have to be, it'd have to be like high budget and, and faithful and want to strive to be as good, if not even a smidge better, Kind of like you know, like Ocean's Eleven. They and and what was the original with Sinatra? Was it called Ocean's Eleven? I think it yep. was. Yeah. So yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, I really wish studios more often would just put out like, and they do this for like Jurassic Park. They do this for Star Wars, but I wish they would do it for the movies like Speed, where it's like every. 10 years for the anniversary they put it out in theaters and they put a big marketing push behind it and, and actually have people go because because younger generations they know keanu because keanu's everywhere now but they might not have seen this so i really wish and it's it's not expensive because the movie's already made you know just give us these hits again in theater it'd be a great experience i'm with you there a hundred percent i don't think anyone's found the formula or the approach to execute that action, because when they do and they do that, theaters will put old movies in theaters, but it's just not the same. And I think I know what you mean. It would be nice if someone could crack a way to do it cheap to where it doesn't cost the studios much money. And it's more of like a fan demand and it's wide and it's not limited. Exactly. Maybe they could it's make wide. a rule. Maybe there's a McDonald's toy where you get the bus. I don't know. Yeah. You know, just I've, yeah, I'm with you there. I I, I want to I want that. I had a, a reboot thought previously, but I forgot to write it down. Mm-hmm. And what the thought was was, what if this was rebooted with Keanu's character Jack? He was in the military on the bomb squad, and now he's a veteran, and he's having trouble finding work. He's he's not having a great time. And then he's just kind of thrown in the middle of this bus scenario where, oh, hey, he can, he can actually help. And it kind of ties him to the pain character because they're both veterans in some s- sense. And they're both kind of they've been, you know, left behind by the system in some way. And the audience is questioning their their faith to being good or bad. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. You should have written that down. They're both, yeah, they're both, they're both kind of failed by the system. And so when, when Jack's character is talking to Payne, he's, he's kind of like, I get it, you know? Yeah. And he gets to prove himself the way Kirk did in JJ's reboot, you know, Kirk's all the way up to like getting into the, the bridge and Pike is saying, Kirk, what the fuck are you doing here? You know? And he's like earning Ensign, commander, lieutenant, lieutenant commander, first officer and captain because he makes him fucking first officer right away, you know, and it's, I could see your Jack going through that when you said he was having trouble getting on the fo- on the force or with the bomb squad and him sort of putting himself in that position. He has to struggle between helping a veteran and being a good person. Right. And, and kind of coming to terms with like we can we can acknowledge 
that our government has failed us, our country has failed us, but that doesn't mean we put innocent people in harm's way. You know, we can still stick to our values in some way. I like that we're recording this. That was a good idea, Sean. All right. What would make this better? I wrote down almost nothing. And then I and then after that, I wrote maybe that one bad jump cut after the award ceremony. So in my rewatch, it's funny, seen it 20 fucking times plus. And I don't know if there are extended versions out there. I, I know the Blu-ray has maybe deleted scenes. Maybe that stuff is falling out there. I've never bothered to look at them. This is the cut I've seen has pretty much always been the same. I'm pretty good about identifying something I've never seen before. Yeah. And last night I thought I had a moment like that at first. I rewatched it on HBO Max, but I was also just like casually watching um, because I'm, you know, doing this. And then and then I pulled it. You have Voodoo and you have it on your Voodoo. And I also pull it up there because on HBO Max, A, it it the aspect ratio shrinks because it's not the uh, it's yeah, formatted app. to fit your screen, some kind of bullshit. Right. So I wanted to see I pulled on your voodoo. But then there's a so in the beginning, right after the elevator sequence, Jeff Daniels and uh, Keanu Reeves are being awarded at the ceremony by the city for for what they did. And there's this bizarre, if you, if you have it up, pull it up real quick. There's this awful, awful cut. And I said, whoa, what? what? Is it, have I seen that before? And I had to pull up your version to see if HBO, because HBO will sometimes do that, is they'll pop in a different version of the film. And uh, let me know if you want time. Uh, well, I'll tell you where to go. Anyway, so right after they introduce Keanu and he steps up to receive his award, they cut to the POV of Dennis Hopper watching the television and it starts to pull back and pan to him. And it's supposed to establish that he hasn't gone anywhere and uh-huh. he's setting up a new plan for him. And I think Hopper even laughs. He does some sort of evil laugh or he makes some sort of comment and then cut. And it's such a dirty cut. It goes right to the bar scene. And I, I would bet money that Hopper had more lines. And I'm just curious what the lines were, but I never noticed that until last night. It's right before the bar scene. Yes. So if yeah, if you have it, pull play it right now. Pause it right where Keanu. They call his name, and he's on the TV walking up to receive the medal and hit play. I'm watching. I'm in it. Boom. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Bothers me. It's too sudden. He. I swear to God, he's about to say something. It's a dirty cut. I don't like it. He just, you know, he's going to say something. He's like, way to go, Jack. Blah, blah, blah. And he's, and then it's just so bad. So it does, viewers, it does make me think from an editing standpoint, maybe we could have just got rid of that altogether. We don't, do we need to know that he's still alive yet? Maybe we right. don't know until the first bus explodes. I agree with you. And the phone rings. Maybe that's better. I 100% agree with you, but they chose to leave it in and they they fumbled somewhere. So that was something I noticed. Yeah, there's there's like the way that they kind of piece it together seems like he's clapping and then there's clapping in the bar scene. So that's how they kind of smooth it out. But yeah, I could well, see it's not smooth. why it might seem abrupt. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with you uh, uh, analyzing the intention, but uh, I still don't like it. So that would be my only what would make this better. And everything else would just be in the weeds, you know, like 
and I don't even want to criticize them for this. After the bus jump, you see it land. You see a clear shot of 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 an empty bus, and it's just the stunt driver. Which that was interesting, weird history is how they strapped yeah. him in so he wouldn't break his spine. But I'm not going to complain. This goes back to the opening that we talked about with a practical effects. You know, like if oh okay, well if they got it, if they can't give us it to be too real with without you know patrons on the bus just so they could satisfy our our hope to see this bus do the jump, and it's for the safety of the actors. Yeah, okay, of course I'm going to let you you know not put a human in there or yeah. not put a bunch of humans in there kind of like in in terminator 2 when when the t-1000 was obviously a dummy crashing into the 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 highway ravine when yeah, he's chasing yeah. john connor so yeah i mean that's just a technicality like what you were saying earlier about going in and um improving preserving while improving so if they could yeah. find a way to make the t-1000 a great cgi human great if they could find a way to add patrons on the bus that looks good, great. But yeah. I'm 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 not gonna, you know, die if they don't make these changes. What would make this better? Look, I've lived in LA, you've lived in LA. 50 miles per hour on a city street in rush hour. I don't know, maybe maybe set this movie on a federal holiday. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I I mean, everyone mentioned that and I thought about that, too, but they got away with it by using the shoulder. And there was a lot of traffic when, the shoulder. when Annie's telling him to, you know, get on or get off, stay on or get off. <laughs> he goes, get off. And then she plows through all those cars on the exit ramp, knocking all the mirrors. And she's she almost hits the school children. And he's like, we got to get off this street. You know, it's like they, they kept it sort of real enough. Uh, but I do understand what you're saying. And plus, that was 94 traffic. A lot more people now, so it could be different. They say they're driving down Western, but it looks like Wilshire to me, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that that road at like 10 a.m. is is not going to be easy to get around, (laughs) even if you're driving the wrong way or whatever. But I can set that aside, you know. (laughs) Movie magic. Movie magic. It's, yeah, it's only a a nitpick if, if you're not willing to have a good time and enjoy a fucking spectacular movie. Who used to be a theater actor? A theater actor. Uh, I got I got one name and then uh, the number one and the number two. <laughs> I wrote down okay. Joe Morton, <laughs> Joe Morton, <laughs> comma, uh, and then I said one or two of the bus passengers. <laughs> um, yeah, I and I, 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 I am being very kind to Joe Morton and respectful because I love him. And he just I, I don't know if he used to be a theater actor. I'm just getting that's why we put this in here is who who do we think used to be a theater actor? So which bus passenger? Uh, the guy. Ortiz. Who, n- no, no. Although yeah, I can see that gigants are. Yeah. What a fucking that's that's hilarious. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I could see. Gigantor Ortiz having been one, I, I would lump that into the category. But I'm talking about the white dude that like challenges him and says like, so if you have a wife and I don't, what makes my <laughs> life more expendable or something like that? I think that guy yeah. was. And then trying to think of who the other person was. Oh, I think her name was Lisa, the one who get who tries to get off the bus and gets trampled. God, what a oh, what a scene! Right? Yeah. So I would say them. 
Uh, but Joe Morton, I, I, I bring him up first because even if he wasn't, then I guess it proves the other point is if he was, uh, did used to be a theater actor, boy, did he cross over good. And he is the kind of theater actor. And I, and I feel that you would appreciate this and understand this. He's the kind of used to be theater actor that merges his techniques and approaches seamlessly into yep. film acting. And he brings what other film actors who didn't start in theater can bring to the right. character. He brings a natural, organic feeling. I mean, he is uh, the epitome of a character actor. Yeah, he's got he's the energy. In, yeah, he's been in so much. And he's so fucking just believable. 100% believe. I don't question a thing. And the only thing that made me think possible theater was him yelling at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when he when he started, he kind of I think that this movie sort of established the whole all right, I'm yelling everything in the scenario of what's going on. We got this and we got this and we need to make it this, people. What are we going to do? <laughs> I feel like that has just been a very big thing in films. It's 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 a trope of that character. Uh, and he does it from the very beginning in the building when they're on scene. You go, he goes, all right, we got to, you know, it's, it's beautiful. He does it. So I can't do it justice. Well, it's just, uh, you know, just the range that Morton has. You, you watch this and you watch Terminator 2 and you might not even realize it's the same actor, right? Uh, yeah, I see that some people. Yeah. Like D- <clears throat> Dyson, completely different. Miles Dyson. Yeah. Oh, in Terminator 2 when he's got the... <laughs> I don't know. I'm stronger. I can hold this. It's just ah, another great film of all time. Oh, uh, yeah. He's the best. He's so fucking yeah. good. He's well, wonderful. Well, and then there's, uh, you know, I was thinking of Jeff Daniels, who I know is presently a theater actor, but I'm not sure. If that's where he started. So, yeah, I didn't put him on my list because, you know, a, I agree with you. And, and I think we both know he was. Um, I didn't put him on the list because he didn't do a thing in this that was theatery, whereas Joe Morton did a qualifying thing mm. that was, but it wasn't on the nose to me. I mean, I obviously yeah. got my own rules for this category. But yeah, it was funny you mentioned Daniels because I remember as a kid watching uh, Dumb and Dumber came out probably around the same time. Very close to the same time. Yep. Close to the same maybe time. Even the same, maybe even the same year. And I remember my mom's best friend, Miss Allen, she's like a second mother to us. She mentioned, because she had seen Dumb and Dumber with us. She's an old, she was an older woman at the time. And she said, wow. She, I just remember her going out of her way to say, I can't believe Jeff Daniels did this. But she wasn't saying it in a criticizing way. She was saying it in like a, wow, what a choice. And she meant it as though... This guy's always been a serious actor and he's Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber. But then she said the same thing about him in Speed was I just couldn't ever see him as a cop, let alone that kind of cop, you know, with the gear and everything. And I I see what what she meant by that. Uh, And another great actor with range, you know, him. And he's one of the best of our time. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber came out the same year as this. So like thought so. Just like talk, talking about the range right there. Yeah. It's wild. And, he, you know, he did arachnophobia before this and um, all, all kinds of things in the 80s. I mean, he's he's great. So him in this is wonderful and he plays it so good. Maybe Alan Ruck. Agreed. Could see that. Maybe Alan Ruck. 
I'm pretty uh, sure the answer is yes on that. <laughs> yeah. I had I had Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you that one too. Hopper had yeah Hopper had to be yeah yeah I th- I would also agree but I'm not sure I have to check that one because he may have come from that film era where it was like, they used to get con yeah he, I know he did come from that film era where they used to get contract work you imagine being an actor going to Columbia back in the 60s 70s uh, I want to be an actor all right you're gonna do 10 pictures with us <laughs> you know it's like the barrier to entry was just not as stiff as it is now well yeah it's I mean the only the only thing we have comparable to that is the uh the Marvel system where mm. where you sign up as Spider-Man and they say we're gonna do 10 pictures with you yeah yeah this movie is just kind of like uh chock full of great character actors so uh respect to the casting crew a chock full of nuts is they have any coffee <laughs> sound like a zama moving on next shot nostalgia factor yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I tried to keep it very concise. So uh, I wrote down, "I'm a kid every time in the theater." I mean, I mean, I'm a kid every. I'm a kid in the theater every time I watch it. That's what the sentence should have said. Uh, <clears throat> and then I, I also wrote down, "Les Sai for the sequel. I think even as a kid, I knew that it was tough. I didn't see it in the theater. I don't think. And then I wrote down in all caps the score. Mark Mancina. Every time I think of that movie, I think of that score and that dun 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 dun. It is fucking great. And the 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 long version of it, the main title scene sequence in the beginning, you it starts from the elevator opening, uh, kind of low, and then yep. it got, it's got peaks and valleys of greatness. What an incredible piece of music! Shout out to Mark Mancina, and he's had a storied career in Hollywood. Um. And then I also wrote down that weird MTV contest to win the bus. So I had to do a little research there. Um, yeah, what? I think I had mentioned. I think I had mentioned this to you when we were talking about doing this film. So I remember in the '90s, around when the film came out. You know, we watched a lot more TV back then. I was watching MTV, and they did one of those sweepstakes contests where you had to call a number, and if you're the whatever caller, you win the prize. And I remember uh, they were doing some sort of speed promotion on, on some TV show. And it was it was one of those MTV things where every time they came back, they cut to one of the cast members or maybe it was for speed Two, And they were interviewing the cast and giving away um, a prize from the original movie or speed one. One of those. Yeah. Well, I found proof of this. OK, because <laughs> I was like, did I imagine that there's no way? And the reason it, it stuck with me is because. Hey, I was trying to win the bus when I was a kid. I was calling the number. But even back then, I thought to myself, what am I getting? What the fuck am I getting with this? You know, like, why am I doing this? And then why are they giving away a bus? Like, I get Are they it giving for- away a model of the bus or the whole bus? Is it the like the bus. model they used in it? It's the whole yeah, bus. No, the whole bus, bro. The whole bus. Where would you park that? Exactly. You can ask our friend Laurel Garces. Uh, where she parked it. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you uh, read this, and we'll we'll edit around this. But here, read this uh, very short article because I found proof, and it was not MTV, it was Fox. So I was watching Fox. Mm. Um, the title is "Winner of Speed Bus Crashes into Tax Trouble." <laughs> See, that could have happened to you. Read it. Read it. 
the giveaway of a bus from the Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock movie Speed has blown up, sort of, in the face of the winner. Laurel Gar says, can't afford to pay the taxes on the 1967 bus, one of nine that portrayed the target of a crazed bomber in the 1994 movie. The IRS is counting its $16,000 value as taxable income. The 31-year-old student and cosmetic saleswoman also has no room to park the bus at her oceanfront condo. (laughs) Garces won the vehicle in a Fox TV contest in November. She plans to auction it. (laughs) There you go. I wasn't making it up. I was right. <clears throat> yeah, that's so Fox. that's one of the things they never tell you about these contests is you got to pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. Like if you win a car, if you win anything, and then if you, if you don't have the money, which most of us don't, you're mm-hmm. kind of screwed. Yeah, and I don't know if I don't even I was like, is was it a contest or was it a sweepstakes? And then I said, what the fuck is a sweepstakes? Like, that's, yeah, what's that the difference? Words? Publishers Clearinghouse, remember that? That yeah. was a big thing in the 90s, a commercial. They'd show up to your house with balloons. You want a million dollars. But you know, back to the tax thing you said. Yeah, so, uh, and then I read further in the, in the research for this episode that the bus was actually auctioned off in the last 15 years uh, for over $100,000. So somebody's got that. I don't know if it's the same one that, that Laurel or Laurel, Laura has it, has, had, but it's one of many that were created. And yeah, it was a full-blown bus. Yeah. So uh, to close that that tangent tab right there, yeah, the nostalgia factor, you know, I just get taken back to a kid in 94, seeing it in the theater and just watching a great action flick and and uh, appreciating that I was able to be alive and, and, and aware of uh, a great movie and then more great movies in the 90s. Um, and seeing, you know, being jealous of Keanu because, you know, Sandra Bullock, big crush of mine. First, first celebrity crush, Sandra Bullock. Um, and just just loving it, loving the shit out of the movie. And Dennis Hopper scaring me a little bit. And it kind of made me want to go to LA finally. And you know, it was back in 94. So it just um it, it's it's dear to my heart. Wonderful movie. I'm gonna have a great time every time I watch it. I can watch it with many different people over and over again. And I am, to quote our friend, I am in good hands and I fucking love it. Yeah. So I don't know what else to say about the nostalgia factor. Oh, and I wrote Laisai for the sequel because, yeah, Speed 2 Cruise Control takes place on a boat. Uh, I don't think we have to say more about that. Um, I think all they needed to do is change the vehicle. And Keanu was is noted as saying that he was down for a sequel, but he just saw it was a boat and said, I'm out. Yeah, I haven't seen the sequel. It was theatrically released. It's got Willem Dafoe. Uh, even back then, I didn't really like Jason Patrick. He was great in The Lost Boys, but he's kind of hard to like. And he just doesn't. He just he's not Keanu. May may have been around just as long as Keanu. May even have technically a few better credits at the time. But he just he's. I'm sorry, Jason. No disrespect. He's kind of like a young uh, Dennis Miller, and he just <laughs> so he's just kind of like, you just kind of don't like him. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't really yeah. like him. And he just didn't work. And I saw the movie. It was a it was a big budget. Let's John DeBont came back. You know, Willem Dafoe was the villain. Um, but it's, it's on a fucking boat. So speed on a boat. Yep. Yeah. We, we didn't need it. Yeah. Didn't need it. Yeah. In terms of my nostalgia factor, I mean, like I said, I think I saw this for the first time, maybe like five years ago. So Mm -hmm. I loved it then. I love it now. I mean, it does take me back to a time long ago when 
COVID-19 was just a twinkle in Joe Biden's eye. <laughs> Next shot, non-white casting. So I didn't have much of a note for this one because when I uncovered the, well, when we both uncovered the Halle Berry getting the original offer, I was like, oh, good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, but I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Uh, and the casting was diverse. I mean, they had a... a accurate representation of uh, LA bus patrons. You had just like every it was multicultural on that yeah. bus. And Keanu and, is not white. <laughs> right. Um what is Keanu? Asian? Keanu uh his paternal grandmother uh was Chinese Hawaiian. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Keanu's great. Keanu so, yeah, I wrote down, you know, the Halle Berry offer. That was interesting. I know that could have worked. Like she was she kind of played the same type of character. Have you seen Executive Decision with Kurt Russell? I have not. It was the uh, I don't know if it was the unofficial or I don't know if it was the official, but it was the unofficial beginning of disaster films on planes. Uh, and you should check it out. It's a great film. It's got a little controversy with Steven Seagal. Um, I'll let you find out, but uh, check that one out. Great thriller, wonderful film, start to finish, not cheap, very well made. Uh, She plays the exact same type of Annie character on that. She's the uh, flight attendant. And so that was, yeah, so Halle Berry, I could have believed the Ellen DeGeneres thing. I think we already touched on that. Again, I could see why they may have thought of it, but in the end, she just definitely doesn't fit. And then I already talked about Meryl Streep and Kim, ba- Kim Basinger. Yeah, Meryl Streep. No, I wrote down for non-white casting. If we were if we were thinking of someone else, if you couldn't get Keanu, here's what I thought. Antonio Banderas. My pick is Antonio. I think he would have been uh, a good option. I also thought for a second about um, a handful of different comedians. And I think that this is a film where a comedian could have actually taken that, that Jack Travern role Keanu's role and uh, kind of done something with it. Maybe not too on the nose, you know, mm-hmm. get the Joss Whedon dialogue balanced out, but it's, uh, I think a comedian could have done something here. Like, like a comedian as, <laughs> I was going to say malleable, but, and I don't even know if he counts. So I feel like Daniel Stern has range. Okay. But you, we have seen him predominantly in comedies, but if you've ever seen him in drama, he can do it. He knows how to do yeah, it. He can do so it. Yeah. A, a comedian that can balance the way that he does, but I'm not recommending Daniel right. Stern. Still white. Um, right. So, um, yeah. So I thought about a handful of, of comedians. I thought about and then, Eddie Murphy for a second. Yeah, same. He could, he could definitely do it. I mean, this role, like this is a kind of a rare role that obviously an Arnold and a Sly and a Bruce Willis could do it. Obviously. We know they can do it, but trying to trying to replace Keanu um, with someone else would be interesting. And as far as the the sidekick, the Annie character, uh, let me think. I don't think I thought about this for her. I was like Lucy Liu, mm-hmm. Erica Alexander mm-hmm. could have played it. You know, she would she would have been on this as well. She was on Living Single as Maxine Shaw. I think she could have played it well. Also thought about Will Smith and, of course, Wesley Snipes for Keanu's role. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm completely down with those. This could have been Will's 
Independence Day before Independence Day because that was his movie star establishing, you know, film on the map. Exactly. Uh, so totally agree. Um, so for a girl, I thought of because you got to remember, we have to put ourselves back when Sandra Bullock just she just wasn't household yet. She's no. in big things, but she just wasn't there yet. And another actress whose career just did not go, sadly, did not go in the upward direction. And I think that's Hollywood's fault because she had the chops was uh, Tia Carrere. Do you remember her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think she she I mean, the way that she carries herself in true lies, she has all the range and the balance needed for this. Uh, you know, a young Angelina Jolie. Um at the time, you know, that sort of actress type. Right. You know, right. but uh, Tia Carreri, yeah, I think I could have seen that. I know I could have seen that. Yeah. And she would have been coming off of Wayne's World. So, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. They already know each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, no, no, that, that was Bill and Ted. Never mind. I'm getting my SNL people mixed up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. 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 Uh, really just, yeah. Because did you ever see, oh, it's, there was an Antonio Banderas movie with Sylvester Stallone called Assassins. Have you seen that? No. Julianne Moore is in that great movie. And oh, oh, yeah, that's right. And Antonio was coming off of uh, El Mari, or, uh, Desperado. Uh, there you go. Salma Hayek could have done this. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been very organic to, to L.A. <laughs> true. Uh, true, true. Two Latinos on the bus. But regardless, uh, I'm not too um, I'm not too shook with the casting here. I think that they did a fair job. Good job, actually. No, no, no real qualms here. Just kind of yeah. more like what what ifs. Well, and when I when I was doing some research, I I came across River's Edge, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. But apparently Hopper and Keanu both were in that as well. So they had worked together before. I didn't realize. I did not know that either. I have to pull that one up. Yeah. Oh, I've seen this box. Yeah, I was like, hmm, this looks this looks good. Yeah. Yeah, Keanu's got range. He's Keanu's fucking great. Always has been. I just I remember him in playing um uh, Diane Keaton's opposite in <laughs> what was that? Something's gotta give. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her her love interest, that was great. All right, producer's corner. I wrote down sort of like a, a headline thing to go off of bullet points. I wrote down the formula, uh, comma, the ingredient, kind of goes in the formula, uh, and then uh, the balance. And, you know, this, this, was, this was a time in film before the list of producers was a mile long. And it's hard you know, they, they say it's hard to do period pieces nowadays or it's becoming harder every year because, you know, the telephone poles are looking more modern than they ever did. And you can't rely on a telephone pole to be, you know, time accurate of the 50s. You know, it's um, now they have like 5G antennas on them and stuff like that. And. It's, it's hard to believe that because. While telephone pole isn't necessarily organic, it's it's something that we could just kind of always rely on to be there. I mean, they're they're everywhere, you know, yeah. or, or electric poles. I don't know what you call them. Um, and I think with this film, you want to believe that this could be redone because of the lack of spaceships and, and crazy CGI. But it's 
I, it's hard. I mean, we have films like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that give you hope that things like this could be, you know, done again where he, you know, uh, Quentin closed down Hollywood Boulevard and basically redressed the shit out of the street, you know, to represent the time that he grew up and the story that he was trying to tell. Yeah. And then you got, you know, I was not a fan of La La Land, but you have La La Land that closed the damn freeway and started dancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's it's just feels like it's getting harder to disrupt in the film world to shut down things to to shoot something for money reasons, you know, for the public and for the money. Well, it goes back to money, the, the mindset of, well, why do we need to rent a bridge when we can shoot this in a studio with blue screen everywhere? Yeah. And it's just nice to see that even though like the bus jump scene wasn't like actually done, like, thank God it wouldn't work. Um, they faked it really well, you know, and but they had, they did a lot less fakes in this than they than they do in other movies. Yeah. And it, you know, it's it's I miss that. Um, I mean, I, I, I just I honor that formula and it, it feels as though, you know, we were talking about Demolition Man earlier. That's another film that primarily was probably shot on a soundstage, but they had to use a lot more, you know, exterior shots to establish things, you know, that it wasn't completely blue screen and a cliffhanger as well. You know, like all these films from that era, they had a formula. You had your, your John DeBonts and your McTiernan's and, and, and those directors of that time. And, and that goes in with the formula and, and the ingredients and the balance to make it right. And I just feel like that is been lost tremendously Mm -hmm. you know we've talked about it before uh not to mention like you know we grew up in a time where we had to be lucky that the television was on the right channel at the right time and that we happened to be passing by it to be able to catch a trailer of something coming out and now it's just whenever we want and that's fine but i enjoyed the community of that era and seeing in the theater you know I, i recently saw spider man uh, no way home, and the theater was just so uh, together on his. It was it was such a great experience, and it's funny enough. I, I feel like that didn't exist as much back back in the '90s, or maybe I just happened to go to the wrong show times. Uh, you know, for example, uh, uh, Liar Liar and Ace Ventura: When Nature Calls. The theater was on. They were on the floor. They, yeah. they were cracking up so hard and I have those memories and I'll have the new Spider-Man memory. And with speed, it was more community shock, which actually made the theater a bit more quiet, but people were just soaking it all in and you just showed them something they'd never seen before. But now we've all seen everything sort of, and it's just getting harder to, to, to do that. And to close this with the way I opened it with the formula was you know, you and I are friends for many reasons. <laughs> you know, we 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 share similar interests and passions in in this in this art, um, <clears throat> this medium, and majority of things. You know, we see eye to eye on. I I think I could speak for you in saying that you know, if somebody gave us a, a budget, a, a good budget, and we had all the resources we needed to shoot something, what sort of theme or spirit or mental rule would we wake up and go on set with every single day and for me 
it would be replicating this formula of these movies. If I have all the money behind it to to put into the marketing and you know advertising to audiences, and I won't have to worry about about that part of it. Yeah, I just have to worry that people went to the theater because I feel like if you show new generations movies like this in the theater for the first time Mm -hmm. they're going to gravitate to these creatives and want to follow them along their their careers the way we did back then and it'll sort of bring back that formula it's like we don't want to do it we want to do it right you know we want to fix it in pre-pro not post and if we're inspired by these heroes and this type of formula i think we're going to we are going to do everything we can to replicate it, but not duplicate it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 how I feel about this one. I, I want them to be like this again. I really, really want them to be like this again. And uh, I'll, I'll close it out with this example. I was telling our friend about if I was if I was fortunate enough to be placed in a showrunner position for a new Star Trek series, the first thing I would do is get an assistant to look up. All right, I need you to get me the names and the contact info for every single writer on Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay, and this this is all for the first meeting. I need uh, Brandon Braga. I need Ronald D. Moore. I need Michael (laughs) Okuda and Denise Okuda in the room. (laughs) I need everyone that was there. Yeah. I need them back for the planning. And that's how I would approach something else. I would, you know, I would find... Like if we had to re- reboot, yeah. I need the special this. effects people who were featured on that one episode of Reading Rainbow, where they're twirling the the, the glitter in the glass, up, yeah. glitter in a glass that you know we both remember so so well. Exactly, and I think that what I would do is I would I would then bridge that gap between those who know the source material and newer creatives, not to eliminate the old creatives, but to to get great new ideas combined with great old ideas and and push encourage them all to work together to create something new and wonderful uh because i think old and young can learn from each other um and that's yeah i mean it sounds a bit uh, now i sound a bit preachy but this was just well done and you can tell it was a great team and and i would want to replicate that agreed let's uh let's step into the director's corner so what I want to talk about is, and we've touched on this a little bit, is just how well this movie begins, specifically like the whole opening sequence with the elevator it is, I think, like a wonderful way to open a movie because it's kind of like a mini trailer for what the rest of the movie is going to be like. So we're setting up Jack, we're setting up Harry, their relationship. We've got Payne already roped into all of this but we're also we also established that jack is newer to this job and harry is more seasoned and because of that i think it's brilliant harry is telling both jack and the audience about what to do in these scenarios and about what's you know supposed to happen so the audience is learning that just as the jack character is learning that which i think is really really well done but it's also like that's telling us like what's supposed to happen, which then means that, you know, when shit does go wrong, we know that it's going wrong because we're we've kind of like 
been brought in and educated about the process about, you know, what what you're supposed to do and not do. And mm-hmm. I mean it 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 gives us uh it gives us thrills even from the first, you know, couple minutes of the movie. Like we know what the tension's going to be like and we might even be asking like, well, if this is the beginning, like how, you know, how do they top this? Cuz it's mm-hmm. it's just so good, it's so well done, and it sets up so many things. You know, it sets up 30 more years of this, you get a tiny pension and cheap gold watch. Cool. <laughs> but, but like, you know, the, the cheap gold watch is then placed on the bus. And as an audience, we don't know yet that, that Hopper was a retired cop, but, but we're able to start to put the pieces together. Like there's, there's just so many things going on here. I tried to think of other movies that start in the same way where they like give us a scenario like this. I know there's more. I just, they just couldn't come to mind, but like, I think this is just a great way to start a movie rather than just like la da 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 da. Like Keanu is leaving the police station and then he sees a a bus explode, you know, and then he has to get on the bus. Like it's, it's a great way to make the exposition palatable and like digestible because stuff is still happening. It's not just characters talking. It's not just like Jack going through training or something. So bravo to everyone involved. Yeah. To quote another critic I read somewhere, uh, this film respects its audience. Or or I think it says respects the intelligence of the audience, something like that. And I I think it's something they kept in mind the whole time and something that um, all filmmakers should keep in mind as well, because that would be what we want to do here. Yeah. And it does such a good job of of suspense and tension, you know, like when Keanu discovers the hole underneath the garbage can and then he jumps down mm-hmm. there and he, and he starts yelling at who we think is Hopper to stop. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then it's Annie like, mm-hmm. ooh, wasn't expecting that. But but it makes sense. We know that that Hopper had found Annie previously. So it's it's all like set up for us. But then they're able to have a reversal. They're able, or they're able to, you know, pay everything off from the setup. Yeah, it's not. It's not too on the nose. And uh, again, it respects you know your your intelligence in a way that is like, oh, okay, no, that's totally believable, and anybody could fall for that sort of thing yep. or be trapped in that sort of environment. And it justifies uh, what what some critic uh, uh, labeled as their the triple ending. You know, you think it's over in the airport when when they're sliding off into the him and him and Sandra Bullock, and then you think it's over in the um, in the subway, <laughs> but then there's just one more, and then the subway crashes down Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, and it's great. It's it's really wonderful because it, and then it goes with what Annie said. What you thought you needed another challenge? It's, right. It's like when is this day going to end? Exactly. You know? It's it's very yeah. economical in what it does, but there's just like so much tension and anxiety watching it and uh yeah it's hard it's hard to top yeah and it's relatable we i think you know we all see films that we always like we'll never you've seen final destination too no (sighs) well there's there's, like eight of those do i need to do i need to sit down and watch you only need to see one and two one and two fuck the rest are garbage now the, the anyone who's seen final destination 2 will never look at a semi truck on the highway carrying logs the same way again and no one ever has since <laughs> same way with uh you know with with the uh, 
with planes and and just and bombers in general and any sort of like terror like that is we're all sort of just watching ourselves like the guy said at my opening thing about you know surrendering surrendering ourselves to 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 life and, and the world and society and everything that's unpredictable with it i mean this is relatable this could happen god forbid but it could and i think when the stakes are a bit realistic uh, it's the movie's just much more relatable yeah questionable questions all right my question for you is <laughs> a little on the nose oh. but uh <laughs> what would you do <laughs> what would you do yeah i guess maybe to how far would you have made it in jack's in jack's role if i had the same experience or not if i like yeah. had the same training yeah uh, i mean i would like to think that i would have you know, made it as far, but, uh, you know, I know my limitations. I'm not Keanu Reeves. I don't know. Personally, like I, I probably would have chickened out at some point and, and deferred to oh. someone who was more of an expert, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I, I could have got through it. I think I would have made it to him under the bus where he traps the fuel line. I think I would have like, <laughs> died and fell under the tires like i just wouldn't have been able to hold on as long that's probably where i would have like ah tragic ending yeah uh all right uh follow-up slash second question which the well answer this any way you want you have to answer it direct which vehicle i guess would you have made this the sequel be if uh keanu knowing you have keanu and sandy back uh and debont what should the sequel have been hmm. or what vehicle should it have been? What should the sequel have been? Yeah. Um, not a boat. That's a, that's the thing is not a boat. You don't want to repeat the train either. Maybe a semi truck could have worked somehow. A semi truck. I don't know. Maybe that could have worked. Uh, huh. what if you made it a, a school bus? Hmm. Still a bus, okay. but now now most of the passengers are kids. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're like on their way to a field trip, and and you've got some like shitty parents who are on there too. You've got teachers. Mm-hmm. It's hard with these movies to make them feel fresh and do a sequel when when it's when the plot is so like driven by that vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. What would you what would you do? Yeah. What'd you put a put this on? I don't know. <laughs> Question was for you. Question was for me. Go karts, yeah. maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If it if a if an answer strikes me in a future episode, I'll 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 mention it. Yeah. Maybe a bullet train. Hmm. All right. I've got I've got a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Excluding Annie and Keanu, which passenger on the bus would you be? Like which, which person do you feel like aligns with your personality? Shit. Uh, can I be a hybrid? Sure. What was his name Alan Ruck? Yeah. Yeah, I would have been a, a hybrid of him and the the guy who I said was a bit of a theater actor. The guy was like, so if, so if you're married and I'm not, <laughs> that's the way he delivered the line. Yeah, I probably would have been uh, him, <clears throat> like a. Yeah, like a hybrid of him, sort of willing, but also cautious and but also, you know, outspoken. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. 
your tax dollars pay their salary. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. I mean, because Alan Ruck was, you know, he got on the phone and he was willing to help. He was shell shocked by what happened with the woman. Yep. And yeah. I, I would have definitely been participatory, participating in it. Yeah. Um, so a hybrid character. Yeah. And then my my last question. Sorry, wait, one more thing. I, I didn't say uh, Ortiz or, or added Ortiz into that hybrid situation because I would not have tried to get the gun from the guy. I would have let Keanu defuse the situation. I think he had it under control. Yeah, exactly. The bus driver would not have been shot if, exactly. if Ortiz had not intervened. Yeah, maybe maybe jumped and grabbed him after Keanu secured the weapon, but not that. I knew that was going to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. So here's my final question. Did you feel for Hopper's character and are we supposed to feel for Hopper's character in any way? It's a good question. There's moments where I guess I could feel or identify with um, his cynicism. Um, I felt for him. I uh, oddly felt for him when he was duped and he watched the video again and he sees the bag come back in the in the in the camera footage of the bus. Yeah. And he's like, he's got his fingers right here and he goes, no, you know, and he's, he's, I guess I felt for his disappointment in himself. Yeah. Um, but I just, I guess I applied that objectively, you know, to anybody sort of in that, but I didn't, I didn't want him to win that situation. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but maybe may you narrow the question to maybe which specific moment you're talking about? No, I'm just asking in general. <sighs> maybe to a point you know kind of like what i just said but uh, overall no i mean he's he is a madman and he's uh he's trying to prove a, a ridiculous point I, I guess i could identify with his gripe with the system because yeah. we all can sure. but that's not how you deal with it you yeah. know you maybe do a hunger strike or something <laughs> uh, and it's funny because he he did just want money really yeah he just I mean, wanted they, money yeah. Yeah. If they would have given the money, he was like, okay, you follow the rules, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. He was, there might've been a, there might've been a bit more with him. Hey, you could do a speed prequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His, his demise. Yeah. yeah. So there's my answer. <laughs> speed zero colon pain point. <laughs> no, you call it acceleration. Acceleration. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the reason I asked that question is cuz like I was thinking about it and it's like in the hands of any other actor, it would be such like a one-dimensional, one-note character where it's just kind of like a cartoon villain. But like something something about Hopper just just brings some humanity to it. Even when he's still like, you know, being his absurd Hopper self, there's there's still something about him watching on screen where where I'm not just like Oh, I hate this guy. I hate this fucking guy. Yeah, he's got character. You know, yeah. he's, he's he's got brilliance, and he knows he performed the shit out of that role, balanced it out really, really well. It was a bit of a sort of a sidestep for him. Not that he was always playing the hero or anything, but he he it was darker than he usually did. Yeah, but it was still great. It was great, perfect cast. I mean, is is any character darker than King Koopa? <laughs> No comment. <laughs> no comment. Oh, well, that's all for me. Same here. This has been Circle Takes.